Welcome to The Procurement Show. Hello and welcome to The Procurement Show, the show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien. And I'm Paul Philpott. I'm here to help with different angles of conversation and compliment Jonathan on his new jacket that he's wearing. I do like that jacket, Jonathan. Nice deep blue suits you very well. Thank you very much. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organisations around the globe. This week we've got a very special guest, a leading light no less in the world of procurement and somebody that is out there helping us all know what is going on and what we should be thinking about. She is behind some of the leading publications and shows in this space. She is co-founder and managing director of Buyer's Meeting Point, a partner and head of content with Art of Procurement and hosts the incredible Dial P for Procurement podcast, looking at the latest trends and topics that affect procurement, and also the other incredible Sourcing Hero podcast, which has had some really good guests on just lately, I'd just like to say. So we thought we'd better just get her on the procurement show. Please welcome Kelly Barner. Hello, Kelly. It's great that you could join us on the procurement show here today. Kelly, Jonathan just just said you're out there. Are you out there? (laughs) Yeah, I'm out there. I'm clearly keeping myself out of trouble by staying busy. But I actually have a question before we start. Paul, are you also required to compliment me on my new jacket? Absolutely, which Mm. I hadn't seen up until now. And I think the pink is delightful and goes very well with your hair. (laughs) And actually, I'd like to see Jonathan in that colour too. Do you know it suits me? The pink (laughs) and white hair, you see. The power of the pink. So the reason we thought it would be good to get you onto the procurement show is it seems that there are just so many things right now Mm. that we need to be thinking about in procurement. and. It's hard to know what direction we need to go in or what to put first. So right off the bat, what are the big topics in procurement right now? Well, I think it'll come as no surprise that the big topics in procurement are the big topics. Mm -hmm. And it really, in most cases, boils down to one thing right now, Mm -hmm. which is the economy. So we're either focused on labor costs, we're focused on the impact of inflation. In worse than inflation, sometimes we're focused on the inability to get things, right? There are shortages. And so all of those things that we're focused on as consumers, regardless of what professional role someone is in, that is right at the heart of what procurement is trying to handle right now. That's a very good point you just mentioned there, because procurement and headlines aren't exactly the best of pals, are they? The finger is often pointed at procurement. Most certainly within recent months, procurement has, within the consumer press, front pages, tabloids globally. We've really made the headlines. You really have. And the finger is always pointed at you. Is that going to continue to be the case, do you think? How do we manage bad press within the world of procurement? We've had plenty of bad press. I mean, some of the bad press has been direct. It's been talking about the impact of us not doing our jobs as well as we could potentially. But we've also had some very direct bad press. We had a chief procurement officer from a very well-known company named after a popular fruit Mm -hmm. who managed to self-destruct on TikTok and erase a 30-year career in 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. That was when a lot of people found out what procurement was, not something Jonathan and I certainly would have chosen. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the most interesting things is so often when people are talking about supply chain, they first of all may actually mean procurement. And in other cases, they mean that there's trouble in the supply chain versus there being trouble with the supply chain, which are two completely different things. Yeah, absolutely. There's a huge terminology kind of... It's easy um, for you to say. (laughs) (laughs) Mishap going on here. 
people just call the same thing, procurement, supply chain, yes. supply chains. And actually, it's about everything that happens up until we get the things that we need. And that's not just about how we procure stuff, but it's all of the things that are happening in the supply chain, of course. And all of a sudden, once these were two separate functions that did this stuff, now you can't be a procurement expert unless you really understand the mm. supply chain. And you can't understand the supply chain properly unless you've thought about how you're buying stuff properly. I think that's fair. And you can't be a good C-level executive if you don't understand both. Absolutely. And those are rare. I really think those are rare. There's so many things we could ask you about today because we're so happy that you're on the procurement show with us. So we're going to just throw a load of things at you. They may seem a little <laughs> bit random. I wanted to start with supplier diversity because that feels like a huge thing, but it doesn't feel like we're necessarily walking the talk here. Do you think that as procurement and supply chain functions, are we ready? Are we equipped? Do we know what we need to be doing? Are we doing the right things? I think the answer is sort of. Mm -hmm. I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years really steeped in this particular area of procurement focus. I think there have been world events that have turned a lot of lights and a lot of attention onto this. And truthfully, I think we've seen sort of two things that are somewhat at odds. I think we've seen a lot of very vocal enthusiasm. But we've seen not as much progress on the operationalization. That doesn't sound right. That's a great Operationalizing word. supplier diversity. How's that? Yeah. It's one thing to say, love all, serve all, right? Mm -hmm. We want to make our supply chains more diverse. We want to work with suppliers from different types of traditionally disadvantaged communities. But taking that enthusiasm and that vision and converting it into something that can be executed, that can be measured, and that actually drives the desired result is so much harder, I think, than a lot of these executives think. So as ever, the will is there. Companies want to do it. But how do you actually do it? How do you actually mobilize yes. and put the systems in place and create the governance to make sure you're doing it? It's a really interesting topic, actually, supply diversity, because it seems to also the phrase seems to mean different things to different people. What does supply diversity mean to you? And then actually, Kelly, I need you to deliberately give a more diverse answer to what Jonathan gives as well. So we get two different sides. It's hard to put a definition on this because there are established definitions, but it's recognising that you're thinking about your supply chains and your suppliers and ensuring that you have the right mix across mm -hmm. whatever you want to look at but you don't have an imbalance in there. You don't have a situation where somebody is marginalized or somebody is treated differently in any particular way and that you are positively, mm -hmm. in some cases, because that's how you swing the pendulum on this stuff. You know, mm -hmm. if you have a situation where we have been prejudiced and showed favor to one particular group, then the only way you can correct that is through positive discrimination and initially where you swing that pendulum back to correct it and then hopefully you get to a point where you've got diversity and inclusion because diversity is essential and beautiful and inclusion is absolutely critical not just to procurement and supply chain but the future of the human race we are creatures that rely on social cooperation you know we forget this we cannot exist without each other which means we actually have to work together at a global level and climate change right now is one of the biggest examples of how we need to do that and that means we've all got to be able to work together as if we're one and as if we're equal i'm actually going to pick up on one phrase that you mentioned jonathan and that's positive discrimination so there is a whole ton of positive discrimination going on in companies right now and truthfully, it's dreadful because 
We all work to the KPIs that we're given. Mm -hmm. And so what most companies are doing, being very realistic, is they're saying, we need to invite X certified diverse owned businesses to each sourcing project. Now, that means that some independent body has certified that X percent of a business is owned by a minority, a disabled individual, a veteran, a woman, a member of the LGBTQ plus community, et cetera. And so we're doing an excellent job of positively mm -hmm. discriminating mm -hmm. towards inviting them. What is not happening is an equal conversion from invitation to contract. Right. And so what we're actually doing is creating more churn. We're costing these businesses, many of whom are small, more money because sales is expensive. I think, you know, in procurement, we forget. We think, oh, working with sales reps or account reps, that's hard. It's confusing. It's complicated. Sometimes they're a pain in the neck. But it costs companies a lot of money to respond to our RFPs, to go through a negotiation process, sometimes to the exclusion of a deal that they might otherwise win. And so I certainly don't have the answer, but when you listen to the voice of the supplier community on this topic, there is a lot of frustration. There is a lot of anger. And in some cases, companies are actually giving up their certifications Wow. Because those two are both expensive and invasive in order to secure the process that you have to go through to get this certification is a very big business decision. And if it doesn't deliver ROI, then the right thing to do is, in fact, to let it go. So let me just check I understand what you're saying here correctly. So positive discrimination itself is a good thing. But the way in which organizations are doing it is more about ticking the box mm. rather than opening up the opportunity yeah. to find the right skill and talent within whichever group that you're targeting. And so we're ticking boxes rather than mm. trying to find the right people that span all the different groups. And for this, I will actually defer. So, for instance, if you want a diverse response. Buyer's Meeting Point is a 100% woman-owned business mm -hmm. that does not count as a woman-owned business because I've never seen the ROI associated with getting certified. Wow. So there's one very real side of that. But I really do turn to the responses from the suppliers that I've spoken to. And one of the things that the most successful certified diverse businesses tell me is that they don't want a chance, they don't want a contract, and they don't want money associated with their diversity status. Okay. That might open a door. It might help get them a little bit more support or a closer relationship. But they all believe that they are the best positioned to deliver a unique value proposition in whatever their space happens to be. And that's ultimately what they want to be recognized. I think they recognize the staying power of being a good supply partner. Mm -hmm. And so it's generally speaking, we need more conversations between companies and these businesses getting the certifications because it's like playing the game of telephone where you pass the message around the circle. Some pretty critical core messages are sort of getting dropped between intent and execution. And I think only by coming together diversely to discuss the opportunities and how we go about realizing them, that is the only way we're gonna drive change. The Procurement Show. Exploring the more interesting bits about procurement. And now, the procurement fun fact. This edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement, bizarre buying, or simply saucy sourcing. 
Last month, we brought you some of the weirdest things that have ever been brought at auctions, and people liked them so much. We had loads of good feedback. So this month, we thought we'd give you a few more. This you've time, gone out and bought more. <laughs> I didn't buy any of these. Oh, good. I wouldn't want any of these. These are courtesy of WilliamGeorge.com, and six crazy things that have been procured or bought over the years at auctions. The first, the Roman Empire, that was bought at an auction for six thousand two hundred and fifty drachmas. Uh-huh. Which is a small change for you, Paul, obviously. And apparently this happened in 193 AD when a guard who served the secret police put the empire up for sale. And bizarrely, oh the person that bought it ended up getting beheaded. So oh. you really wouldn't want that. Number two, a Dorito shaped like the Pope's hat sold for $1,209 in 2005. <laughs> Russell Crowe's jock strap. <laughs> right. So apparently it came from when he played Cinderella Man and um, uh, that sold for $6,500 back in 2018. John Wayne's toupee sold for $6,250 after he finished wearing them. Must be more than one. You wouldn't want that, more than one. That was quite a big price toupee. <laughs> Sorry, Karen. 1948 that sold and it was made from real human hair apparently. Ooh. How about this one? Five hundred and fifty-six dollars mm-hmm. would have got you a two hundred-year-old condom made from sheep intestines. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I think my favourite actually yeah. is William Shatner's kidney stone that sold in two thousand and six for twenty-five thousand dollars. It's life, Jim, but not as we know it. You mean it's a bargain, Jim, but not as we know it. That's not funny. Did that even sound like him? No. No. Okay. The procurement fun fact. Contact us by email, hello at theprocurementshow.com. Send us a tweet at Procurement Show or connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for The Procurement Show. I've got a feeling you're the kind of person who doesn't like red tape either. You seem to be a proactive kind of individual, which leads me on to ask you about regulation, because regulation yes. in business, everything is becoming more regulated. Yeah. Often the finger mm-hmm. is pointed at procurement for yeah. putting red tape into place. What are your views on that, on the impact of regulation and companies and how they do business and how their supply chains operate? I think it's far more prevalent than most procurement professionals are aware. You know, if you ask most procurement, even C-level procurement executives, what's your experience in dealing with regulation? How often do you discuss regulation with your team? It's probably not very often. But we had a few really key things, either from geopolitical events or from simply things that hit the news headlines this year that really pointed out how critical this is. The number one example I would point to is the baby formula shortage in Mm -hmm. the United States. And what we found, you know, it started with a plant closure and a product recall. But what we actually found as we dug into that is that the federal government had unintentionally overconcentrated the whole U.S. market for baby formula such that 89 percent of all formula came from just three providers. Mm -hmm. And so when one of those providers went down in an enormous way from a production standpoint, we hit out of stock rates between 18 and 31% national average. That is devastating. And it was a well-meaning regulation that caused that because what led to it is the Women, Infants and Children Federally Funded Nutrition Program, WIC, we call it in the U.S., The way they arrange their contracts in order to save money is that each state awards its entire annual formula volume to one provider. 
And so that WIC program buys 60% of the formula bought in the United States every single year. And so they did, they saved money. They did a wonderful job saving money, being cost-effective, but what they were doing year upon year, building the links of this chain that would eventually sink the market is making it so that anybody else beyond those three that made formula was so small and so niche and so geographically limited that they had no ability to even ramp up their production to fill the void and fill demand and help families. And that simply stemmed from a regulatory procedure that had wonderful intentions, but terrible consequences. Yeah, seemed like a good idea at the time. (laughs) But I've heard that phrase a lot recently. It seemed like a good idea at the time, but the world has pivoted and we're in this different place now. Suddenly security of supply Mm -hmm. is a huge, huge Mm -hmm. thing. Of course, cost is something that's always going to be part of what we do in procurement but actually making sure that we're able to get the stuff there and comply with regulation of course and that kind of brings me to another question this is a big question if we think about how we source because we're used to sourcing all over the world we're used to doing this globalization thing which has kind of changed recently are there areas of the world that we should be sourcing from now or should we specifically be targeting particular areas of the world to source from and are there parts of the world that we should not be sourcing from Mm. yes to both in terms of where we should be sourcing more from i would say locally Mm -hmm. and that's different for each one of us now i'm not going to be unrealistic and say that we need to near shore onshore everything because that's simply not going to happen but i think we need to have strategic production and labor partners that are easily accessible that we can pull in either as our primary or secondary source of supply those relationships can be among our most strategic so i think those are key opportunities and are there places we should not be sourcing from Absolutely. And that in some ways brings along this theme of regulation. In the US this year, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act Mm -hmm. took effect, also with very complicated consequences. All of a sudden we found out, okay, now you can't get solar panels, right? Because pretty much all of that product comes from that region of China, where now you have to whitelist product to get it out. You have to prove conclusively that it was not associated with forced labor, which is nearly impossible to do. Now you have companies choosing between, do we want to be more green by bringing in solar panels, or do we want to do the right thing around human slavery and trafficking in our supply chains by staying out of this region of China? And that was a piece of legislation that came in pretty fast. It sort of almost came out of nowhere in response to reports that almost seems suppressed in terms of treatment of the Uyghur population in the northwest province of China. Where will that play out, though? Because we know that situation today, and clearly legislation is driving a change in the US. That hasn't happened in Europe, by the way, yet. Mm -hmm, Where's that going to end up? Should we be not sourcing from China, or is this an isolated thing that we need to navigate through? Well, I think it's a long-term play. And you're right, Europe has received encouragement to put similar legislation in place. It hasn't yet happened, but I know it's on the table. There's also some other things going on that are very complicated for Europe right now with Russia's invasion of Ukraine and what that means for the energy situation. But I think for an answer, what we can actually do is look to another piece of legislation, which is the CHIPS bill in the U.S. around incentivizing domestic production of semiconductor chips, building fabs in the U.S. It's an enormous sum of money. Hmm. And it's looking at some things that are very concerning on a short-term time frame. Right now, we're regularly seeing 
protests in China happening in news headlines. We're all watching Taiwan. What is going to happen? We're in a little bit of a pinch if China does start to force themselves onto Taiwan and we lose TSMC's production capability. Yeah, yeah. And that's going to affect the world. Absolutely. But as much money as we throw at this problem, I think $53 billion or something like that, just around building the fabs in the US, it's still going to take 10 years to get those US-based fabs to where existing fabs are today. And this is a rapidly developing market where things become obsolete at an unbelievably accelerated rate. So we need to start thinking bigger in terms of geography, of course. We need to think bigger in terms of human impact, but we also need to think much longer term. Things have been so unpredictable. I suspect that most business decision makers at nearly every level of the company have shortened their confidence horizon. They're now thinking, yeah. mm -hmm. okay, I feel pretty good about today, a little uncertain about next week. Please don't even ask me about next year. But realistically, what we need to do to move the needle on these big challenging issues is be thinking 10, 15, 20, 50 years down the road. Wow. That's incredibly yeah. hard. It's yeah. going to require visionary people, but we need to make the effort. And some countries are doing that. In the US, in Europe, we're quite short-term thinking. But actually, in Asia, that long-term thinking mm. has already been done. And the semiconductor thing, really scary. It's worth reflecting on yes. the fact that I think yeah. something like two-thirds of the world's chip production currently happens in Taiwan, TMC being one of the biggest, of course. And um, actually, these conversations aren't just held within the procurement sphere because these conversations are also being held by consumers themselves. Yeah. You know, buying yeah. power and where consumer choice is given. Is that going to drive change here? At some point, your decisions that you make may or may not be good for a brand, they might become consumer affecting. Well, they might become consumer affecting when we're seeing consumers starting to say, where's this come from? Is this sustainable? You know, are there things I need to we're know about? We're asking that now. We Consum are, but we've yeah. assumed up until now that the brands we buy from are good. Mm. And it's only now we thought, okay, so maybe not as good and maybe yeah. there are human rights violations. And that brings us back chains. to that headlines thing. Right. Yes, yeah. it does. It's so the thing you started with there, Kelly, where you said local, I mm. think local is the future of where it's at because I mean, here in the UK, we've assumed we can import what we need. And suddenly, if we just take energy, we've suddenly recognized, actually, we can't rely on the world being able to produce cheap energy yeah. and we're not producing enough onshore. And every country now has this need for right shoring, which is the new phrase. Mm. How can we now bring the thing that we need onshore or at least yeah. closer? Is that what you're seeing? It's absolutely what I'm saying. And it's the wonderful thing about procurement. One of the things that we're best at is multi-scenario analysis mm. and optimization. So what we're saying is, okay, we have all of these different goals and objectives and challenges that we're trying to work around and satisfy at the same time. Let's play this out. It's like a wargaming scenario. What happens if we do this, this, and this? Okay, we're going to have to make a tough decision here. Which one of these things is more important to us? I think this is where we can not only help our companies understand the cost impact of some of these different decisions, but understand the much bigger picture, human, environmental, national security related impact of things that historically would have been mostly thought about is simply existing within the four walls of a company. Kelly, earlier on, we spoke about supplier diversity within procurement. Let me ask you about mm -hmm. talent diversity, OK? The individuals yeah. that actually make procurement work. For example, women in procurement. Fair to say we've struggled to we get have. women on this, yeah, this programme. Not enough women on the procurement show. Absolutely. I worry that that's actually reflecting a bigger problem mm. that's out there. 
what do we need to do to change that with regards to encouraging women to work within the industry and indeed a more diverse talent base altogether? I think the solution, you know, we were talking about longer term, the solution to this problem is underway. I'll just speak to the US because that's where I'm most comfortable on the numbers. But my understanding is that women currently significantly outpace men going to college. And so that puts you in many cases on a professional track. You know, I think as far as procurement goes, attracting those intelligent individuals into the field, it actually has to do with changing completely our approach to recruiting. Mm -hmm. Jonathan, I don't know if you have a story like this or if you've heard other guests talk about it, but almost every single person I've ever met in procurement has ended up there because they tripped or fell or opened the wrong door or got on the wrong bus. Absolutely. And listen, hope is not a strategy. So we need to start saying, all right. I personally am of the generation that fell into procurement. I ended up here accidentally, but I adore it. And I'm going to do everything for the field that I can now that I'm here, which includes evangelizing the opportunity of working in this space. And that means finding bright new grads, most of whom are coming out of college, maybe with a little bit of supply chain information, but probably no procurement, and simply taking the opportunity to make them aware of the kind of work that we do, how we impact the company, and the career progression that can follow when you do a rotation through procurement relatively early in your career. It's time to Ask Jonathan. And today's Ask Jonathan is from Lisa Lawson. (laughs) (laughs) Stop it. This is a this is a guest that's written in. You've got to be serious I about it. I can't say this. It's just that it's a, a this listener is, that's written This in. is one of those coincidences, on. right, dear listener? I know. Wait, I right, thought okay, it. Go, go on, go on, okay. go on. Today's Ask Jonathan is from Lisa Lawson from Lawson. <laughs> <laughs> Look, she's probably listening. Oh, okay. Today's Ask Jonathan is from Lisa Lawson in Lawson in Cornwall. <laughs> <laughs> she writes, Dear well, Jonathan, yep. I have three questions for you, okay. which is actually not what I see here. It's five. Anyway, carry on. Um, question number one okay. Procurement, buying, or sourcing? Okay, it's one of those. All right, okay. Procurement. Question two Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles. Question three Night out at the pub or takeaway at home in front of the TV? These days, it would be a takeout at home in front of the TV. Question four of three. Pasties crimped on the top or on the side? Right, so hang, when was this a... When, this this was a genuine. procurement question. So suddenly we hang, had one bit about procurement and we're into pasties. Yeah, but at what point do we ever say, ask Jonathan something about procurement? We just say, ask Jonathan. True. Okay, okay right. right. So I'm Cornish, so yes. pasties crimped on the side. There is no other way. Okay, all right. Then here will be a bone of conten- contention, if that's the, is that the phrase. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, question number five of three. Jam or cream first on a scone? Right, this is deliberately mm. to try and catch me out, because this is Lisa Lawson from Launston, <laughs> right? Yeah. So in Cornwall. Yes. So she's just testing here. I've yes. got it. I've got Lisa. I understand what you're doing. Of of course, jam first on a scone, then your cream. There is no other way to do a scone. Do you agree? Oh, don't open this uh, up. No, I'm going to open it up. Do you agree or do you have other questions jam to ask? first. Scone or scone? When it's scone, it's scone. Ask Jonathan. Email your question to jonathan at theprocurementshow.com. 
You might be part of the next show. The Procurement Show. The latest thinking, the greatest insights. Jonathan, what Kelly said earlier also scares me that her backstory is she fell into procurement. I did. You fell into procurement. Yeah. Well, that's great, isn't it? I never it? That... wanted to be in procurement. <laughs> Brilliant. And then I was in a situation where I was put on a special project and they had nothing else for me. Let's yeah. put him in procurement. <laughs> Stick him Keep him that. quiet. Yeah, but that's worrying. That I is know. really worrying. But what because... Kelly said is exactly right. I got into it and thought, okay, they're not doing this very well. There's a yeah. big opportunity here and, you know, the rest is history. You're an educator, though, because you train a lot yeah. of this stuff. Yeah. So... Have you ever been approached by an educational establishment, a school, a college, a university, specifically to say, come and teach us a bit of procurement? Has you know, that ever I, happened? I haven't, because it's one of these things, you know, that when you're at school, when you're at university, as Kelly said, you know, you don't think, hey, I want to go into procurement because nobody's told you it exists. Right. It's only when you get into business and you think, well, what is procurement? And somebody says, oh, it's where they buy stuff. You know, that's usually mm. how the conversation goes. <laughs> and what they get to go and visit suppliers and stuff. Okay. That sounds interesting. It's only when you kind of see what happens, yeah. you think, actually, this is quite an exciting place to be. But it's not one of these things that's packaged up. So what you just said, Kelly, about we've got to get out there and we've got to go and say, look, have you thought of a career in procurement? Mm. Because actually, it's a pretty good place to be and you can really progress. You know, we've got to be better at that. Also, at its simplest level, you wrote a book called The Buyer's Toolkit. I've read it. There are a lot of things that you learn through the concepts of procurement that you can utilise in everyday life. Absolutely. Everybody buys something. We make important buying decisions every moment of our lives. We're all buyers. We're all negotiators. You just need to learn a bigger repertoire of stuff when you do it on a much bigger level. But it's fundamentally the same stuff. Mm. You know, just different dynamics. And of course, you can progress once you kind of get into procurement, you can get to that sort of CPO level. Yeah. There's not enough women in procurement. There's not enough women CPOs. But let's talk about CPOs. What are CPOs doing right now? What are their biggest needs? What are the things that they're asking for? I think what they need right now is time. And that's the one thing that none of us can truthfully give them. What we can do is help them optimize the time that they do have. And so some part of that is going to come from better use of digital solutions that distribute buying and sourcing responsibility into the enterprise. Some amount of it is going to be about market intelligence so that they can better choose the timing of when they invest in things. But we talked about at the beginning where what are the biggest challenges for procurement? And in my opinion, those are the big challenges everywhere. I think that's very much reflected in the CPO seat. The difference being the CPO is trying to deal with these enormous, complex, interwoven problems. And they have, I don't want to say a limited set of options, but they have a constrained set of tools to bring to bear on these challenges. And it's a combination of people, access, supply partners, information, right? Skills and technology and things we've picked up over the years. But I do think we need to consciously shift our mindset. I'll speak for myself. I spent probably at least two years waiting for it to be the normal day. I just kept waiting. And I think what we truly have to do is give up on that, but not in a hopeless way. I think we need to stop holding ourselves back with that expectation and instead think, okay, this is my new reality. It is bonkers. It's not anything I ever thought it was going to be. But that's the advantage of most people in procurement. 
not having intended to end up there. It means between us, and I'm a diversity absolutist, right? I don't want us to say we need 10% more women and 10% more people of color and 10% more veterans. I want the best and brightest people, no matter where they come from, no matter what they think they want to be when they grow up, working in procurement, and that organically will create the kind of diversity that we need mm. because you're going to end up with a manufacturing person, a marketing person, probably somebody that got a degree in arts. Goodness gracious, you might even end up with an English major. That's how I stumbled in. <laughs> but you have this whole collection of natural inclinations and skills and experiences that are so different from people's backgrounds that if we start putting all those pieces together, that is a resilient organization that really can handle the challenges that are ahead. Brilliant. That's, that yeah, is the ideal situation, isn't it? So it's diversity yeah. in terms just, of where you come from as yeah, well. It just know. happens yes, organically. Yeah. It just is. We already have spoken about procurement maybe not being taken seriously with regards to an educational or career level. Mm. Is the function being taken seriously within organizations? I think now more than ever, perhaps. Mm. But I also think this moment is ours to win or lose. Right now, the ball is in our court and how we handle this moment is going to determine whether we're like the flavor of the moment or whether we're really actually causing the planets within the company to realign so that procurement can be a little bit closer to the center of the universe. And again, in my opinion, the key to doing that is to stay calm. Procurement, yes, we do things beyond savings, we do things beyond contracts, but at the heart of everything we do is data and information and intelligence and recommendations and analysis. And if we allow ourselves to become emotional and step away from that, we're not only not serving our core function, we're actually serving a function that serves to knock other people off their paths. We have to look at value without allowing emotion to enter into our decisions and discussions. We just plain need to stay calm and do the best we can to get through this time. Let's talk about the future of procurement. So mm -hmm. what do you think are going to be the top three things, say, on the minds of the future CPOs or organizations in the next five years? And let's look a little further out in the next 10 years. So where are we heading? What are the things that are coming our way? I think there's going to be a bigger picture understanding of cost, right? I think we're going to have more of an opportunity. Right now, there's this artificial division in a lot of companies between at least what I came up in procurement knowing is direct versus indirect. There's also for resale and not for resale. I think it's a mistake to separate those two organizationally. You know, just as we were talking earlier about where do procurement and supply chain overlap, I also think it's a mistake to divide product and services coming into the organization from product and services required to generate revenue and get that product or service in the hands of consumers. So any division that we create artificially is inefficient. And I think as our analytical capabilities get better, we can start chewing on bigger and bigger problems. So we're no longer going to be forced to say, okay, this is all the processing power we have. So we're going to work on problems that are this big. I think technology has gotten to the point and hopefully mindset has gotten to the point where we can start thinking much bigger, which allows us to go to all of those five and 10 and 20 year things like sustainability, like modern slavery, like diversity, like local impact, or right shoring, as you had said, Jonathan, you know, we need to be thinking really the same way the CEO does, and then just figuring out what's our role in making that come to pass versus thinking about what does procurement do and will that make the CEO or CFO happy? I think it needs to be more of a top down 
type of thought process and far more collaborative. There needs to be a lot more work, even if it means us being physically distributed into the organization a little bit more. And now that most people are still working to some extent from home, Mm -hmm. that sort of organization within the building breakdown has started. That's an opportunity that we can seize because now virtually we can sit at the desk next to that stakeholder we've been trying to forge a relationship with. We don't have to bump their colleague out of the next cube. We are just as close to them as the people within their functional team. That's brilliant. You really are passionate about this, aren't you? Do you think she's going to win the award for the bounciest, bubbliest guest we've had in the procurement show? I I think think so. Do we have an award? We need to make make one. one. We need to make one. What if somebody Mm. went to university and they specifically said, I want to go and work in procurement. What about procurement? Is it a good profession to go into? It is an awesome profession to Mm. go into. And I would even say, if I was talking to myself earlier in my career, first of all, I would say, stop crying. It's going to be okay. It's just procurement. (laughs) It's not as bad as it seems right now. You're actually going to love this someday. But what it gives you, and I grew up watching Mr. Rogers, and he would go to factories and they would show how to make, I don't know, crayons and trumpets and pudding and whatever else. If you can understand how to take something apart and put it back together optimally, there is nothing anywhere in a company you can't do. So the only thing I would say to people is, yes, come into procurement, but I'm not even asking that you make this your career. I'm asking that you come here, you stay for a while, you learn as much as you can, you give us your best in return. And then if you decide you want to go into marketing or sales or finance or ops, I promise, even HR, you will be better. <laughs> even HR. <laughs> Although, don't call me if you uh, choose to go to HR. Just stay over Jonathan, there. let's not do the HR show, <laughs> no, right? No, no, no. I don't we think we're friends with HR anymore. Let's think about today. What should procurement hmm. practitioners be thinking about today? There are three pieces of advice, that, and this is what I think practitioners should be thinking about. One is we've gotten away from traditional notions of specialization, but I don't think the idea should go away. So when I started in procurement, my specialization, which was assigned to me, was hired services. I think that's a narrow legacy way of thinking about specialization. I think instead there should be people who naturally are good at analysis or naturally are good at negotiation or love digging into the commodities that adjust the price of the thing that you're trying to buy. So figure out what you're best at and create a specialization for yourself. If anybody else recognizes it or not, does not matter, but create something so that you can start defining almost an individual brand for yourself around that specialty, which actually leads me to my second piece of advice, which is don't ever stop learning. You have to invest in yourself. And whether that's buying and reading Jonathan's books or watching or listening to this podcast or checking out any of my others, could be getting a certification, could be taking a LinkedIn course about effective negotiation or effective social media networking. Whatever it is you've chosen as your specialization, invest in that, strengthen it, Right. Give yourself an ability to really double down and become better than anybody else at that one thing. And because you're doing this on top of a job that is already incredibly stressful and challenging and unpredictable, I actually go back to my earlier advice for CPOs. And I say this applies to everyone. Stay calm. Mm -hmm. Everyone just needs to stay calm. In my house, we have an expression. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. If I had a dollar for every eye roll I received in response to saying that, I would be so rich, but I've also never been wrong, right? Slow down 
do it right, you will actually be faster in the big picture. And that is the right way to address things that in this moment, I think will get you through most situations. Slow is smooth and, and smooth, smooth is fast. I've never heard Jonathan like described that. as that before. <laughs> <laughs> I've been an absolute delight that you could join us on The Procurement Show. Thank you so much for sharing everything. It feels like we need to get you back yearly and just once a year to find out what's happening in your Well, world. at least to get my award. I need to come yeah. back and get my award. And that'll also give me a reason to buy a new jacket, Paul. We'll get the award. Yes. And in the meantime... We're going to end I'll on... go shopping. Yes. <laughs> Any excuse, I've got a feeling. <laughs> Slow is smooth. Smooth That's is right. fast. Yes. Kelly Barner, thank you so thank much you. for taking the time to join us on thank The Procurement Show. You've been listening to The Procurement Show. Contact us by email, hello at theprocurementshow.com. Connect with us on LinkedIn, search for The Procurement Show, and on Twitter at Procurement Show. Visit us at theprocurementshow.com. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Copyright Positive Purchasing. All rights reserved. Produced by Fresh Air Studios.